Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. I'm so happy to be joined by production designer Catherine Eder, whose past credits include films you might have seen, such as Big Time Adolescence, the Night House from last year and three months with Troy Sivan just earlier this year. And now she's out with her latest film, Hellraiser, the latest installment in this incredibly successful and popular um, horror franchise. Um, Catherine, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. So I'd love to start at the beginning of your involvement with this project. I know that David Bruckner, the director, is someone who you had worked with previously on the night house. So is that how you got involved in this project because of that um, relationship you had established with David from the night house? Yes, um, that's exactly how it happened. Um, David and I had a very successful collaboration on night house. We had a lot of challenges that we were able to conquer together. And in that process, we got to know each other fairly well and build um, a basis of trust and I think professional appreciation. And so when he booked Hellraiser, him and Keith Zoomed me in the pandemic and um, invited me to join the project. Yes, very exciting. And um, with David aside, can you talk about um, what sort of gravitated you to wanting to work in the horror space and specifically Hellraiser? Um, Had you been... um, a fan of the franchise before was it sort of a world that you had to be introduced to when you came onto this project i think with david in general i got introduced to um better understanding and also appreciating the genre itself for movies um i i sometimes tell that story that i grew up without a television in austria And around the age six, my grandmother came to live with us and brought a big television, a junkie television along with her. And I saw the American werewolf in London on a Saturday afternoon, and I wasn't able to differentiate between reality and film fantasy, and it traumatized me. So I stayed away from horror films my entire life. And... um, David knew that hiring me on the night house and he appreciated that because he felt as though I would cater to the story without trying to cater too much to the fans as um, and geek out on things. And um, I appreciated that trust and that take um, on, 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 on his objective of hiring me. What I didn't expect to happen was that by allowing myself to immerse myself in horror material, I learned to understand um, that we can deal with very deep, dark issues by exploring them in the genre of horror. And I have a very deep appreciation for that now. And in regards to Hellraiser, I knew Pinhead. I think everybody does. It's such an iconic um, character. And I definitely had to dive into Clive Barker's world and watch the movies and study the entire world of Hellraiser to familiarize myself with the legend that Hellraiser is and the world of Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I dug deep. I had to do my homework. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue because I wanted to ask how often did you look to 
the original film or, you know, the many sequels um, versus um, how much your work was relied upon the vision of David? Was it sort of a mixture of those two looking back at the past films along with um, David's vision for the film or was it more one over the other? It was a combination of both, I think. Um, We went into um, soft prep with the desire to honor Clive Barker's world. I think that was um, from the very beginning a a goal of ours to say, okay, how do we make this an homage to the original Hellraiser and not the sequels in between? And there was definitely a desire to take certain elements from the original film and also the book and integrate that into our um, material. However, the script is very different than the original Hellraiser. So there was also a desire to bring it into present day and 35 years have passed. And in those 35 years, we have grown as people. Our relationship to, for example, BDSM has changed. There's a lot of things that that David wanted to address based on our present time stance on themes and things. So there were certain elements like the box that was very clear from the beginning to stick to the look of the original and build on that. The labyrinth that the Cenobites come from and Leviathan, the Romanesque arches, the textures of the stone was something that we always wanted to honor. And then um, a certain feeling of um, Art deco that probably comes from the design of the cube was something probably that we then started embracing to bring it into a new world building look um, for certain other aspects. Yeah, you mentioned how things have evolved over the 35 years. And I think you can just tell in this film compared to um, the original from the 80s, how even in a production designer's toolbox, how you just have so many more resources and we're so much more advanced now than we were all those decades ago. Um, Can you speak to how you were able to create that more highly stylized look in this film compared to the original and how maybe you had more resources because of that? Yes. um, And it's interesting, Clive Barker um, was at the premiere and he spoke about, um, in the Q&A, he actually spoke about how the the importance or the risk has changed so much since he made his film. He said that he did his movie for $500,000 back then and and it was he felt as though it was a, a lower risk than doing it with more resources and much possibly more exposure as we just did it. Um, in regards to, to the design, we went into an early concept design phase, which was very exciting, something I hadn't been able to do before. And we worked with um, a team in Bulgaria of two concept designers that really helped visualize early ideas um, that we had in regards to the mansion. The, the, the first act of the film with Riley and her world, we knew we wanted to anchor in, in some kind of a Northeastern American town. And we embraced that it could have a, a kind of a grungy feel to it because um, David was also interested in honoring somewhat of a 90s vibe um, in the in the tonality of the film. 
And for Boyd's mansion, that's really the world that Riley and we as an audience dive, uh, audience dive into that that's unknown and that's mysterious and that is the, the gateway to interacting with the Cenobites um, and eventually um, fighting, having a big show off with Void and the Cenobites. So we wanted to, um, to make sure that we could portray a person, Void, as the antagonist, as someone with obscene wealth. And I think that's something that probably relates to a, a bunch of especially very wealthy, um, powerful men in present-day politics and um, and the society around um, present-day politics that we related to. And so we, we were able to dig into how our world could look with obscene wealth while still honoring something that also relates to the Cenobites and and the occultism that's connected to the world of the Cenobites. And we did a lot of research into the history, the visual history of torture, the visual history of pain, the visual history of sexuality on a global level. We wanted to break away also from the Roman Catholic aspect of it. And with all these elements together, we came to piece together, especially the showroom in the beginning as, as our key set that we knew we would spend a lot of time on. And then the other rooms that helped us build the world for Void's Mansion. And in regards to the resources, I think the studio let us really do our thing. They obviously wanted to sign off on everything, but there was certainly um, an approach to give the creatives the range of building the world that David had in mind for Hellraiser. So that was really wonderful. And then um, we also had a large team of people, especially in the design aspect, to help us um, realize those goals. So we had a, a ton of set designers we had someone specific, Martin Emborg, who focused solely on designing the box. Keith Thompson, wonderful creature designer, worked on the Cenobites. Um, in the art department, we were able to design furniture and practical lights and side table and source a lot of artwork. And we build a lot of things from scratch, which is something that allowed us to stay consistent to a certain look yeah. Rather than having to rely on um, what we would find in the environment where we filmed. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned the themes of like sexuality and also addiction that this film emphasizes because it, I think it comes across as seeming a bit more elevated compared to all the other um, sequels of the past. Can you share how those themes make this one stand out above the others because of those um issues that it raises and how um designing this heightened sense of world building that um you created as a result of those themes contrast with the other sequels um i, I mean i think a lot of things come down to time and resources so i i wouldn't want to say that the other films didn't try to embrace things um from from what i know is a lot of these sequels were also rushed in order to not lose um, the, the, the rights to the story. So um, 
I, I can only speak of what, what we tried to do. And, and I think David and I tried to do something similar on, on the night house that information that's nonverbal is conveyed in a very subtle sense. And that was kind of the goal here as well, to be subtle, but very layered and to give every object and every piece of art and um, and every design detail kind of a story and a purpose um, in building this world. And in, in regards to building on themes like sexuality or the dark aspects of sexuality, um, torture, pain, um, if you pause the film in certain places, you might probably be able to to study the artwork on the walls better that that was always related to something that either is reminiscent of possibly being a cenobite or it might be reminiscent to a theme of you know things that we don't um like to address like pedophilia or um torture a non-voluntary pain um the history of um psychological warfare, like one-on-one -on -one, um, submission. There's there's so many things in there that we kind of tapped into. Um, I would need to see the film again to see what made it into the picture. But we tried to to always keep it as, as a background and almost as an echo to keep reminding us in every scene who this person of void is about and as little screen time as he has as the person before he was um, uh, consumed by the Cenobites, we wanted to constantly relay um, that background story of him um, to, yeah, to embed it in something more than just the, the shell of the house. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, can you share um, of a particular set or location that you found to be particularly um, challenging and made you as a result all the more proud of with pulling it off? Um, yes, that there were a lot of, of locations. Um, in, in its essence, um, Hellraiser and Needs a Mansion, and we knew that we it was probably unlikely to find a mansion. Um, with all the different rooms um, that were in the script. And when we arrived in Serbia, a very lengthy location scouting process started. And we ended up having to stitch together the mansion in different locations mm -hmm. and then also build sets on stage. And um, a big challenge is that, first of all, the architectural history in Serbia is very different than what you would expect in, in Northeastern um, United States. And the locations weren't cohesive um, in their age um, to begin with. So we had to find visual details that we could apply to every location in order to create a mansion that hopefully was built in 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 one time period and that that took some time to figure out but um i think we were very successful um especially with the lounge which is the would would be the opening scene where our young man kind of walks through the party and and we see um, certain pieces of the house and then he's lured into the showroom 
that location was um, white walls um, in in a in an old rundown building, and we stripped them, stripped the walls down to the brick, and we plastered everything and painted it, brought in new floors, made, painted the ceiling gold, created all the furniture, switched out windows, added things, and it turned out to be a very beautiful transformation that um, encouraged all of us. We filmed it early on that it encouraged all of us to keep going. So that was a very exciting location, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I had one last question for you, um, which was if there's any projects that you're working on now or about to work on that we have to look forward to. I know that there was a project you might have recently finished called Sid is Dead. Um, so maybe you could touch on that and if there's anything else that you're mm -hmm. able to share. Sid is Dead is actually a project I did years ago. Oh, okay. Four years ago, that never came out. Oh, got um, it. So that one, um, I, I can't really speak to because I haven't seen it. Right. Um, and I am attached to a couple of projects. One was supposed to start this week and just got pushed. I'm very excited about it. It's a, a smaller art house film. Um, also a psychological thriller with some psychological horror elements i don't i don't think um anybody has spoken about it so i'm not going to deep okay. into it but it's with two wonderful actors attached and a director i'm very excited to work with um and yes if that gets pushed um another couple of months or half a year then i'm sure something else will arise quickly yeah well yeah. it looks like we'll continue possibly seeing you in this um psychological horror thriller space which is cool to see um well congratulations again on Hell hellraiser i know it premiered just the other week at the mm -hmm. arrow and um just coming out on hulu it's gotten wonderful reception so um congratulations thank you so much and thank you for your time today it was nice meeting you thanks so much for tuning in Please take a moment to subscribe to The Hollywood Podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind. Thanks for listening.